Well, good morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. Man, I've had a lot of coffee. I'm talking really, really fast right now. I'm just catching myself. It's good to see you. Would you look at your neighbor and just say, man, you look great today. And then say, you smell good too. It's a little awkward. For some of you that are single, you might be going, thank you. You're welcome. So anyhow, it is good, good, good to see you. I don't know anybody else. I love the fall of the year. Any, thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. I love the fall. Fall is my favorite season. That's, and we're kind of in this sports series, so I'm doing this sportscaster-looking jacket. I love plaid, too, and fall colors. And my wife, I always come home with these jackets from trips, and she's just like, another plaid jacket. Yeah, I thought we talked about you can't wear brown. And I'm like, hey, babe, I think this may be my year. So anyhow, um, but... Uh, Love that, sports, all that kind of stuff, and, and whether you're a baseball fan in the World Series and, or you're a college football fan uh, or pro football or whatever. It's just there's so many things, whatever. We're in this series that we're launching this weekend uh, called The Score. And, uh, and so there are points and scores and all this stuff for all of these sports, all these activities, but not just in sports, in life especially in a capitalistic society that we live in, uh, we can say what we want to say, but we keep score. And we're, we're taught at an early age to keep score. And, and we make things competitive to keep score. And if things get too boring, they go, hey, let's just try to do this. Whether it's stuff in your office, whether it's things that you're, you know, friends that you, that you grew up with, or, hey, we're going to keep points on this or scores on this or do this or do that. I mean, we just, we... We like, we like make games on top of games. Fantasy football is not even a real thing. It is. Don't email me. And if you are, it's rcoggins at lifechurchwi.com. But the deal is, it's like we, because we're, we're kind of obsessed with scorekeeping. And so when you think about this, it's, um, everybody has different measures. Everybody has different scoreboards. So what's the right one? What's, what, do, what? What does it mean? At the end of life, when it's all summed up, what really matters? And don't think I'm just going to go with the Jesus answer. I'm eventually going to get there. Don't spoil it. But, but at, the, at the same time, it's like, no, no, what are we doing? And how do we do this? And how should we do it? And, and, and is it okay to be competitive? And the short answer to that is yes. You are made, you are hardwired. This isn't anywhere in the notes. I'm going to get it in a minute. But you're hardwired to take dominion, the Bible says. When before sin entered into the earth, mankind was called to take dominion over the face of the earth and subdue it. We are we are born to be conquerors. That's the reason why. Uh, that's the reason why sports and competition and scores and 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 whatever it is that you're involved in, you 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 want to do your best. There's something about that. And when you don't, when we, if you're not living an optimum, we kind of go, "Are you depressed? Is something wrong? Is there something?" Because our natural desire, our natural inclination inclination is to succeed, to be successful, whatever we deem as success, to, to overcome and to win. This is not one of those series like, hey, I'm going to give you seven, seven habits for Christians that are successful in life and in business. This is not one of those. But I want to dive deep a little bit into what the Bible talks about, about scores, keeping scores. What's the right score? What's the right scoreboard according to scripture? What do we do? Paul likens a lot of his theology, and Paul writes most of the New Testament, to a competitive sport nature, running the race, fighting the fight, all the things that he says, I don't do this for a, a crown that will wither away and that will, that will be gone, but I do this for this crown of righteousness. 
The Bible talks, even in the book of Revelation, that what we do on this earth, that there is reward on this earth in heaven. So what we do on this earth, based upon how we do it, why we do it, and to whom we do it, will equate or not equate into reward in heaven. There is a score that is kept. Not whether you get into heaven or not. Getting into heaven has nothing to do with you or with me. It's by grace that we're saved through faith in Jesus Christ. It's a gift of God. But once I'm a Christ follower, the book of James is very straight about this, that I live my life in such a way that I live it for the audience of one. And in doing so, I put up reward in heaven. And by putting up reward in heaven, I stand before God one day and he will judge everything that I've done. And whatever is pure and holy and right, whatever really makes the points on his scoreboard will be turned into a crown of righteousness that he will give me, give you. And, and I will lay at the feet of Jesus ultimately. And so this is an important subject matter. It's not, we're gonna have a little fun with it. We're gonna have some giveaways. We're gonna do some fun and all that kind of a deal. But the score is really something that is, and this is very private for you to kind of check your own motives, check your own heart, because nobody knows but you. So today, Matthew chapter six, if you have your Bibles, we're gonna start this very first message called the secret scoreboard. Matthew chapter six, I'm gonna look at the first four verses. And we live in a world where, every, uh, where there's permanent reminders of everyone else's score. So it may be dress, it may be a label, it may be a car, it may be an address, it may be a title, it may be a position, it may be an amount of money, it may be the number of followers or lack thereof in a, in a social media platform, it may be clout or influence, it may be a name or recognition, it may be a lot of things. But... God kind of changes the game because he's ultimately in charge of the scoreboard. And what's funny is, is mankind, this is not a new issue. We try to so much uh, create our own scoreboards, create our own kind of king of the mountain type of stuff. This is what's important. This is what's value. This is what it is. What's really funny to me, and it's kind of sad to some degree, is that it's very transparent on social media what people value. And uh, it's the way I look, it's the way I dress, it's the way I, I it's what I drive, it's, where, it's, it's how much money I make, it's, it's where I'm working, it's what I'm doing, it's my family. It, it could be a whole host of things. We all kind of, it becomes a very transparent uh, view into what people value, what's important, what, what's there. Um, again, not judging, that's not my place, that's not, that's beyond my pay grade. But it's that scoreboard that God's in charge of. And so I just want to give you three statements, and then I'm going to walk through this passage, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. If you're taking notes, the first statement about the secret scoreboard is that God will challenge your values. When it comes to scoreboards, if you're writing this down, it's going to be up on the screen. God will challenge your values. First statement, God will challenge your values. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, it says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Verse 2, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet as before, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Verse 3. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that the Father may be in secret, and, your, and so that your giving may be in secret, and that your Father who sees in secret will reward you. 
So throughout Matthew chapter 6, Jesus demonstrates how this faith can be expressed in genuine ways or in hypocritical ways. You could do the right thing and a good thing the wrong way. So there's the right way or the genuine way, and then there's a hypocritical way. And in verse 2 through 4, he, he, he relates it to our generosity. Last week, we just did one day to feed the world. So again, am I letting everybody know the amount of money that I'm giving? Am I, am I, am I advertising that not that I'm giving or doing something, nothing wrong with that, because sometimes that, cheer, that, that, that encourages other people to give. Um, but at the same time, it's like, am I being boastful in what I'm doing? Am I being boastful in this? Again, it goes back to my motive. A lot of this stuff is really deep. You, 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 you can't just say, well, this is hypocritical and this is genuine because it goes back to what's the intent of the heart? What's, what, what's going on there? Um, but our generosity, it can be expressed in, in, in real ways, in genuine ways or hypocritical ways. He'll go on and I don't have time today, but in verse five through verse 15, he'll talk about your prayer life. If your prayer life is something that you're doing for other people and not for yourself. I'm not talking about praying for the people, but you're doing it in a way that everybody sees. Oh, I pray and I better, whatever, you know, whatever kind of a deal. I hope you enjoyed that because that's all the reward you'll get is what he says. Spiritual disciplines like fasting, he'll go on in verses 16 and following to talk about spiritual disciplines. There are things. And so he's really talking to, to Christians here that the appearance versus the actions. So why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I at church? Why am I, why am I doing my quiet time? Why am I reading God's word? Why am I doing soap, the scripture, observation, application, and prayer? Why am I involved in small groups and life groups? Why am I involved in this Bible study or this Bible study? Why am I involved in one-on-one -on -one discipleship? Why am I telling somebody else about Jesus? Why am I inviting them to church? What is the motive of my heart? If the motive of my heart is so that I can be seen, that's whatever benefit I get from that, that's all I'm going to get. If the motive of my heart is just for applause and for other people to go, oh, that's so great, you're so great, you're a good person, that's all I'm going to get because that's the motive of my heart. Same thing of me right now. If I am preaching and I'm leading and I'm pastoring so that I stand out in the foyer today and you say, good job, way to go, that's awesome, that's great, and that's really what fills my tank, I better enjoy that. Because when I stand before God, it doesn't matter if I've preached for decades. There's no eternal reward in that. Because my scoreboard has been your applause. My scoreboard has been your affirmation. My scoreboard has been you seeing me as somebody great, good, whatever. But if I come out here and do the exact same thing, but I do not look to you for your applause, although I don't necessarily mind that. <laughs> I don't look to you for, hey, that's a great message, although I'd much rather get that than, I got something to take, pick a bone with you about theologically. I do like theological debate, but not after service. Um, maybe if you're going to take me to a really nice meal, then you can just chew me out and I can just eat. You can talk and I'll go, yeah, um, no. Can you pass the salt? Yeah, okay. So, the, <laughs> but if that's what I'm doing it for, but I, I can do this in a way that I just do it because this is what God has put in my heart to do. And this is what he's asked me to do. So therefore I do it and I do it unto him. Whether you applaud or you don't, whether you're here or you're not, who knows that? God. Who can judge that? God. You really can't judge that in me. I can't judge that in you. But you know. You know if you came to church today and you're like, man, I'm, I'm more spiritual than so-and-so over there. Yeah, I gotta, I'm carrying a bigger Bible. and they, They've got theirs on like a little, on their phone. Like really, real Christians don't do that. I have a real Bible. It's paper and it's highlighted. <laughs> I have stuff in my Bible. 
We used to carry Bibles to church like that, and it was like it was like a it was like a uh, it was like a f- just a complete file folder of like <laughs> bulletins. Remember paper bulletins? Yeah. So <laughs> it's just like you know, why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you going to bring the tithe? Why are you going to give an offerings? Well, nobody ever says thank you for my giving. Is that why you're doing it? Well, nobody ever really recognizes my contribution. Is that why you do it? I've been serving at this church. Nobody ever really. Is that why you're doing it? I, I came and I was gone for three weeks and nobody called me. Is, is that why you're coming? Don't misunderstand me. As a pastor, we have a responsibility to shepherd, which means we should be caring and we should be attentive. And we should, but we're human and we make mistakes and we miss it. A couple weeks ago, I was in the foyer and... It was the first week back from the sabbatical, and uh, I was going to shake someone's hand who, came, who was coming by to say, hey, man, they never looked at me. They actually made eye contact and then looked away from me, and it was like completely blew me off. And I was like, I am never coming back to this church again because this person just looked at me and didn't even shake my hand. It was a joke because I went up to him. I said, he goes, man, I didn't even see you. I am so, I mean, and I told his wife, I said, you need to give him a hard time. Great family in the church. I won't even say his name. I don't, I don't embarrass him. His name is Jared. But anyhow, and so I just, it was one of those, he didn't see me. But how many times you heard people say, well, I went, they didn't do this. And I went, they didn't do this. And I did. Is that why you do it? No wonder we get so offended. Again, it's the scoreboard. It's the score that we keep. It's how we do it. See, my actions uh, basically should equate to my values and, and, and points on the board, so to speak, is the only scoreboard that really matters. It's really what I'm doing, not what I appear to be doing. That I'm praying, not that I appear to be praying. That I'm giving, not that I appear to be giving. That I'm serving, not that I appear to be serving. This isn't a photo op. Ultimately, it's unto the Lord. So the first, that first statement is God changes your values when it comes to this scoreboard. Secondly, is that your reason will determine your reward. Your reason will, return, will determine your reward. Look at verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you that they've received their reward. Even if you do the right thing with the wrong motives, it equates into zero points as far as the kingdom of God is concerned. Your motives matter. Your motives matter. Do you do it for people or do you do it for God? Because if you do it for people, then your validation will come from people. If you do it as unto the Lord, then your validation comes from God. And many times we wonder, why is God not really moving me or, 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 or opening doors for me or whatever? It may be, I don't know, but it may be that I'm looking for validation from people instead of from God and I'm doing it for man and not for the Lord and in essence I'm getting all of my reward and all that's going on instead of doing it for the audience of one and you know what's so freeing about this is I don't have to be at the right place at the right time to get the right job or have the right opportunity in scripture over and over and over it shows this David in the old testament he is not at the right place at the right time when Samuel comes to anoint the next king of Israel he's out in the sheep out with the sheep. He's a shepherd. He's out. He's dirty. And Samuel basically keeps telling his dad, hey, do you have anybody else? Jesse, do you have anybody else? Do you have any other sons? And finally, Jesse says, I've got one kid left, but you're not going to want him. 
and he smells and he's out with the sheep and he's the runt of the litter and you're just, and Samuel says, bring him to me. I will not sit down until he arrives. And here comes in this 14-year-old boy with disheveled hair, smelling like sheep, that's been out sleeping with the sheep, living with the sheep, being with the sheep, doing what his father asked him to do. And they clean him up and he says, this is the next king of Israel. He's not at the right place. He's not at the right time. What's the difference? It's his heart. And if you look at King Saul and you look at King David in the Old Testament, you get this dichotomy between two people that both on the outward are, do, are serving God on the outward, are doing the kingly duties on the outward, are the king of Israel on the outward. Uh, they're, they're good looking, they're handsome, but the difference between Saul and David is heart. It's motives. And, and Saul is keeping the scoreboard of I'm doing this and this and this and this and it's efficiency and efficiency. Matter of fact, he's so efficient that he won't wait for the priest to come. And finally God says, that's it. I am done. He no longer follows the rules that I've given. His heart is far from me. He's all about himself. He checks all the external boxes. He's, he, he's kingly in every way, yet he does not step into his responsibility. I'm gonna find a new king. And that's when he speaks to Samuel and says, quit mourning over the loss of Saul as king, even though he's still in power. I've got a new one. Go find him. And he finds David. And then when David goes and, and, and the first big miracle that he does in public is not the first miracle that he does. He's done things in private. He's, he's taking care of the bear and the lion that tried to devour the sheep when no one else was looking. His heart was right when no one else was looking. So what does God do? God brings the man of God to him. He exalts him, but before his brothers, before his family, which is typically what happens, God will exalt you first. Man, I'm preaching way better than you're shouting because this isn't even in my notes. He, he's, I had a lot of coffee this morning, amen. So this is happening. And then what happens? You, the first miracle that he does in front of everyone is Goliath. But Goliath was not his giant. It was King Saul's giant. But King Saul was someone who looked kingly on the outside. He looked like he had all the points on the outside. He had all the success on the outside. But the inside of him, his motives were wrong. And so he couldn't deal with his own giant. So what has to happen? A 14-year-old anointed and private shepherd boy comes to the front. And because of his heart was right, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that exalts itself in the name and the power and the glory of God? Who is this punk, he says? Amen. He's not at the right place at the right time. He's at the wrong place at the wrong time in this situation. And he stands there, and if you've ever been there in Israel, the last time we went, we're there on the Valley of Eli where the Philistines are on one side and the Israelites are on the other side. And he calls out from across the valley and stands before this giant and takes down, not David's giant, it's Saul's giant. But what happens is, is when you go with the world system and a scoreboard that everybody else sees that deems you successful, you become impotent when it comes to the power of God and you don't flow and live in that. And so you wonder why your spiritual life has no vitality, it has no veracity, it has no heft to it. Because again, on the outside, man, you're checking the boxes. I go to church, I put some offering in, I did this, I'm in a life group, but where is your heart? Where is the reward system of your heart? Because your motives matter. Man, that's good. See, if you do it out of, I'm, in the old days, I'd go to the front row and, and shout myself down and come back up, but I can't do that right now. <laughs> Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, 17, 18. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I am compelled to preach. 
Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If I vol- but if not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. So what then is my reward? Just this, that in the preaching of the gospel, I may offer it free of charge so that the gospel, so, that, so not to make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Paul says, look, if I do it out of obligation, it's just duty. But if I do it out of privilege, it's reward. Why do you do what you do? Why do you serve God? Why are you kind to your neighbor? Why are you See, the Old Testament is filled full of giving and serving out of obligation. But the New Testament, grace changes the game. I love because I've been loved. I give because I have first received. I I, I serve because God loved me so much that he gave his one and only son, Jesus. And Jesus gave his life and served me. I can't but not do this. Third statement. The real blessing is built into the process. The real blessing is built into the process. Matthew chapter 6, verse 4, the last part. It says, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And I know that heaven is our ultimate reward. I get all of that, okay? I've been in church my whole life. But God doesn't wait until the afterlife. God doesn't wait until eternity to begin to bless you as his children. We, as Christians, we say we believe the Bible, but sometimes we just don't live that way. This is one of those verses that we say we believe, but we really don't live it. Because what we do is instead of just saying, God, I'm going to do this. If no one else sees it, I'm going to live my life before you. I'm going to do the right things. Not not that I'm perfect, but I'm going to do this and just trust in you and just kind of do it that way. And then I'm going to let you be the rewarder of me. I'm going to trust the scoreboard to you. I'm going to quit worrying about the output and just worry about the input. Because the truth of the matter is most of the time I can't control the output. I can only control the input. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to just, uh, I'm just going to focus on the character, the integrity to make sure that my private life and my public life are congruent. Not that I'm perfect, but I'm gonna strive in this way. I'm gonna strive just to do the right things. Whether my boss sees it or my professor notices it, whether I get invited to the parties or I don't, whether I get invited to the end, I'm just gonna do what I know is right. And I'm just gonna trust you with the reward because I know that in the sweet by and by, you'll take care of me, but I'm talking about even here and now. Because in all of my striving, I may have some popularity, some position, and some pleasure. But the strength, the secret sauce, is that when I do it in Christ, and I do it unto him, and I don't worry about who gets a reward, I don't worry about what, then I have peace that passes understanding, that the world cannot buy. I have hope that endures through the night. I have strength even when struggle is in front of me. I have forgiveness because I know that God is my source and he is my reward. This is something that if you're a type A leader, you struggle with. I struggle with this. I I do everything I can, but I have to constantly remind myself that my reward is 
not here. That my reward is not here. That I don't live my life for the audience of anybody else, but for the Lord. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, vertical relationship. Then all these other things, horizontal relationships will come into, into play. And how many times do I preach that and do I say that, but then I try to help God out. I try to help him out. And you know the thing I've learned is the, th- is the more I try to help him out, the more I try to put points on the board, the more I try to, and, and again, you're like, but you're a pastor. Yeah, but pastors can be ambitious. Pastors can, can, can be consumed. Pastors can be self-centered pa- because we're humans, just like you. So I wanna build a bigger church. I wanna build it faster. I wanna raise this much money. I wanna raise more. I wanna be able to do this and do that. And it's all for good things, but what is my motive? Am I trying to muscle it? Am I trying to make it happen? Am I trying to do that? I will burn out. I'll have a nervous breakdown. I will completely crumble because my body cannot handle that level. Nobody can. But if I do it through Christ, I cease in my striving. All of a sudden I go, Lord, this is your day. What do you want me to do today? You open up the doors today. You cross my path today. You put your words into my mouth today. Lord, you do what you want to do, whether I'm famous for anybody else or not. The only, I, I, I want to love my wife. I want to be a good dad to my kids. I, I, I want to be famous in my home. But beyond that, Lord, it's up to you. It's, it's about you. I, I'm not going to try to seek to please this group of people or entertain this group of people or do this. It's just going to be through you. This is the thing the Holy Spirit's really been working in my life in the last several months about. This is the whole thing. I'm, I'm actually working on just a complete study of this because again, I think so many times we try to help God out and we try to push and we try to do and, it, and, and, and it's for good things, but our hearts are not good. My output may be great. You may applaud me, but at the end of the day, should the Lord tarry is coming, I'll retire or die and there'll be somebody else that will stand here. Next. Same way in your job and your business. Same way in the company that you work and that you build. So what matters? Him. Him. And when I do it that way, then the yoke is easy and the burden is light. When I do it that way, I cast my cares upon him because it's his problem, not my problem. And the opportunities even of the ministry, I can go and say, God, this is your issue. I can't tell you how many times I have, I have sat in my car on the Germantown parking lot and went, I didn't ask for this, none of this. This was not my idea. This is not my place. This is not my deal. I'm here because you asked me to be here. And Lord, I have no other option. You've got to come through or I don't know what else to do. And it's amazing when I decrease how much he increases. When I see striving and keeping score and keeping up with the Joneses, when I quit elbowing my way to the table and fighting for my right, and I just step back, how all of a sudden he fills that space. And he does it in a way that whatever giants are before me, he takes them down. Whatever fear and anxiety is there, and I deal with that just like anybody else, he drives it away. 
Remember be the buffalo? Storms in life are going to happen. Look at the storm, square your shoulders to the storm, and run through it. Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Because you don't live, right, for the audience of anyone else but to the Lord. And so today, I just want to challenge you. Scoreboard. God has a different scoreboard than the world does. And we're going to talk next week about keeping score. There's a, it's important to keep score, but how you keep score is very important. But today, I just have a question. Is it your scoreboard or God's scoreboard? What scoreboard are you on? And everybody has a scoreboard. Everybody has some measuring system that you're, you're, it's internal, it's external. Everybody has some something. It's not just athletes. How's your score? Is your keeping up with the Joneses and your scoreboard, is that working for you? Or do you find yourself more depleted? More depressed, more anxiety. Because the way of the world asks for more and more and more and more and more and more. And it never gives up because the way of the world is insatiable. That's why Jesus said, look, I'm going to give you to the woman at the well. I'm going to give you water that you're going to drink of that you're never going to thirst again. Because the only thing that quenches your soul is Jesus. That's why we preach about him. That's why we sing about him. That's why we exalt him. You hearing me preach will not quench your thirst. But the subject matter, Jesus, that's the thirst quencher. That's the satisfier. That's the peace. That's the joy. That's the hope. That's the strength. What needs to change in your life? Look, if, only, if the Bible only works at church, we need to leave now and go to Cracker Barrel and beat the Baptist to breakfast. Amen? But if the Bible works, and I believe it does, then this works in corporate America. Doesn't matter how the rules change. Doesn't matter what the new HR this or that is. It works in the marketplace and in business because most of the men and women that are written about in scripture are not pastors or priests. They're leaders, politicians, business people, blue collar workers, white collar workers, stay at home parents, it's all there. What's gotta change? And are you willing to make that change? Are you willing to do what you need to do to trade your scoreboard for God's scoreboard? Because you may gain the whole world And when time's up on this earth, you may lose your soul. What does it profit you? Nothing. Nothing. You're 50, 80, 95, 105 years on this planet are a drop in the bucket compared to eternity. Where everything you do in these few decades result in true reward 
or lack thereof on the other side. Again, I'm not your judge. I'm just here to challenge you today to think about this. Let's pray. Father, I pray as we just kind of bow our hearts and bow our heads and just kind of close our eyes just for a moment. Let us contemplate what's my scoreboard. We all have one. Trying to keep up with this, that, be cool, this, that. Grab this degree or this title or this thing. And there's nothing wrong with things. There's just something wrong when things have us. So I pray, Holy Spirit, convict us where we're off, where our scoring system needs to be adjusted. I pray, Lord, that if we're doing the right thing and we're on the right way, that you would just let this message have such peace and confirmation that I'm in the right way, man, I'm in the way. And that we keep on keeping on. But whether it's by comfort or by conviction, Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts today. Challenge us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what I want to do. I uh, want to call a bit of an audible. And we, we want to give you some time just to kind of think, we're going to do a song and then we're going to be dismissed. And uh, I, I just, uh, I'm going to ask, first of all, I'm going to ask every, uh, no, you stay seated just for a second. I'm, I asked the band to do the song this, that we ended with today. They didn't have planned to do this, but I asked them to do this. Because as I'm sitting here on this front row, I can see people wiping tears. I can hear... And I know life is a full contact sport. And you may be facing anxiety, depression, fear, um, frustration. Maybe you just need to get some things right with your scoring system internally. And you just need a few minutes to do that. It may not even be you, it may be your kids, maybe your marriage, maybe your parents, maybe a friend, a coworker some level of frustration, some something. But here's what I know. You took time out of your busy schedule to get yourself together and to come to church. So you were looking for something. And yeah, there may be a few box checkers, people that go, oh, I went to church today, check. But I think more, most of you, if you're just gonna do that, you wouldn't be in this room. And again, I'm not your judge and jury anyhow. But I just sense that there are people that are here today that I mean you just need God to meet you right where you are. You're dealing with just you're just you're dealing with a frustration, with a hurt, with a with a whatever. You just you need God to do that. So what I want to do is as they're going to come and sing, I'm going to ask for you to do this. If that's you, here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask you what I want you to do. Then we're going to do it, and they're going to sing, and then we're going to go on. But if that's you, I'm going to ask you in just a second to stand to your feet. And I just wanna pray for you as your pastor. And my prayer, my words have no special power. But Matthew 18, 19 says, we're two or more gathered together in Jesus' name, there he is in the midst. That's one of the most important reasons why we come together, together as Christ followers. Because Jesus joins in when we come together. He delights, the Bible says, he inhabits the praises of his people. He dwells not in the buildings made by the hands of men, but in the hearts and lives of men and women. And when we, his people, come together, he shows up. 
And the Bible says in that context, Matthew 18, 19, where two or more gather together in his name, there he is in the midst. And if they ask anything according to God's word, it'll be done for them by the Father in heaven, period. It's a declarative statement. It's not interrogative. There's no parenthetical thought. There's no comma, dot, dot, dot. There's no et cetera. No, no, period. So here's what I believe. As I was sitting here during worship, looking at some of you and hearing you in this room, I felt like the Holy Spirit just laid on my heart. There are people that are hurting and that you need God to meet you. And here's what I believe. He's going to do and minister to your need today. And all I'm asking you to do is just to stand up and say, that's me and I wanna pray with you. And then we're gonna sing this song as a declaration because Jesus is the answer. So that's you today. I just want you to, if you want prayer, don't, I'm not worried about anybody else. If you want prayer, just stand up. Thanks. Just stand up right where you are and just stand right where you are. You don't have to tell anybody. You don't have to tell me. I, I'm not even going to ask you to move to the front. I just, this is, this is between you and the Lord. But I just want you right, right where you are just to, just to pray and just give whatever the situation is to the Lord. If it's fear, just say that. If it's anxiety, say that. He knows, just, just give it to him. And I'm gonna pray for you. And when I say amen, then the band's gonna lead us in this song. When they lead us in this song, we'll all stand up and this will be our anthem today. Father, I just thank you today that you move and that you speak, that you are not dead, but you are very much alive. And Jesus, your word says that you're seated at the right hand of the Father forever making intercession, which means you go on our behalf to the Father who has the ability to do. You said in your word, where two or more are gathered together in your name, there you are in the midst, which means you're here. The person of the Holy Spirit, you are here. And so this isn't weird. It's not wacky. It's not crazy. It's just your word. And so we stand upon your word, God, as your people. That's all we have. We lean so heavily on your word that if it were to move, we would fall. And we pray and we ask and we link our faith with one another, according to Matthew 18, 19, and 20, that you will drive out the fear, that you will drive out the anxiety, that you will drive out the depression, that you will drive out the frustration, that you will do whatever you need to do to push back the work of the enemy. That Lord, that you will come in, that your word says that when the enemy comes in like a flood, that if we will submit ourselves unto you, you will raise up a standard against him. And so Lord, right now we submit ourselves to you. We're standing up saying, we need prayer. We need you to show up. God, you know the situation. You know if it's a person, you know if it's a place, you know if it's a thing, you know if it's something that's happening in us that we need to confess sin of. Or Lord, if it's something that has nothing to do with us, but the enemy's coming against us in a physical way, in an emotional way, in a spiritual way, in a mental way, in a physical way. I just pray whatever it may be, God, that you would bring peace, that you would bring strength, that you would bring wholeness, that you would bring victory over the situation. Your word says that we overcome by the blood that you shed on Calvary's cross and by the word of our testimony. So God, we're just standing on your word and we're just asking in faith, believing that you will do what we have not the ability to do, that you will put your super onto our natural and that you will meet us here in these few moments. And as we sing these songs, this is a declaration is unto you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.